Hello, this is Jake Meyer, and I am the Senior Manager of the Business Operations Services here at Advara. Happy to be joining the fourth episode of Advara in Conversations with. So with that, I'll hand the mic over to Candy to introduce herself. Good morning. My name is Candy Barlow, and I am a clinical research informatics nurse on the bioelectronic side now with Advara. So today, Candy and I are going to discuss the results of Advara's recent study activation survey, specifically aiming at the clinical trial site budgeting and billing compliance portions. So from pain points like staffing and turnover, budgeting dilemmas like startup costs, negotiation timelines, to Medicare coverage analysis and more. So, hey, let's get going. First, a few housekeeping items I have to run through. What is this study activation survey we will be referring to? So, Edvaro developed a series of questions aimed around clinical trial activation tasks at the research site or hospital level, job functions like IRB tasks, informed consent writing, obviously research budgeting and billing compliance, as well as other areas were touched on in this survey. Candy, maybe taking a bit of a step back, it may be helpful just to share why we're the ones talking about these subjects. Could you share a little bit more about your background? Sure. So my background is 20 plus years in clinical research. I am a nurse by background and have worked at the site side pretty much all of my career. Recently moved over to the technology side to help, you know, advocate for sites. And part of that includes this budget negotiations, coverage analysis piece. It's part of what I had set up throughout our system that was completely electronic and had no bill holds. And so by being able to come on this side, I can help with the electronic piece to teach sites how to do this. Because as you're going to see, we're going to talk about some of the difficulties that sites have and how perhaps we can have some solutions. And Candy is the brave one here for anyone listening in as a nurse. My background is in finance. So definitely different ends of the spectrum here. I've worked with sites around the country performing Medicare coverage analysis on clinical trials, as well as negotiating budgets for research sites. And with that, I have roughly six years in this industry. So, hey, great. Two more quick items, and then we'll dive into these results and we can get going. But Candy, I will toss these two questions to you, actually. Okay. Could you describe the difference between an academic medical center versus a non-academic medical center for listeners? Sure. So an, an academic medical center is really going to be that university setting. And that's where we you know, originally first saw clinical trials. And that, that was the powerhouse, if you will, of clinical trials where we had rich you know, investigators with PIs who were you know, steeped in that academic setting. And then there's also that diverse patient population that is seeking out advanced care, specialized treatment within that academic medical center. And so that's where we first see clinical research. And then as the years have progressed, clinical research has moved, you know, obviously into these other realms where we have um, large site networks who perhaps their main focus is in clinical research and they're not necessarily tied to a health system or university. Then we also see private standalone centers that have 
maybe it's in a physician's practice and he or she is is just very, you know, dedicated to that research pathway and they use their clinics to support the research. And then now we also have the health systems, the hospital health systems where, you know, they have multiple disciplinaries where there are many patients coming in through different touch points that also now conduct clinical research. So quite the diversity, if you will, in landscape of where a patient can actually now receive different types of clinical research treatment plans. Great question, Jake. I love that description. That's great. And then the last housekeeping item, I'll revisit this one. We look into the billing compliance portion of the survey, but at a high level, why are we talking about budget negotiations? Why is this important? Goodness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's a fun question, Jake. So, you know, obviously what we do is for the patient, right? And we are trying to change practice and we want to do what is best for our patients and empower them and, and give them choices and options. But at the end of the day, we also still have to run a business, right? We have to be able to staff and have the resources and provide different types of equipment. So being able to negotiate a strong budget at the site side is key to sustainability of that research site, whether it be in the AMC house, the hospital, the private sector, the, you know, and maybe a site network, just that strength of understanding how to negotiate a budget is crucial to the sustainability. And I think that's where we have a lot maybe to offer and share in new knowledge and tips and tools. I know. And it's so easy to get caught up in the weeds, forget about the high level, the big picture, just like you mentioned, but no, this is great. So diving into our budget results, the first topic is actually regarding startup totals. So how much does a site expect to receive when they do activate their clinical trial, commonly called the startup fee? Mm-hmm. So our study activation survey showed that 43% of sites requested under 10,000 in startup, 29% of sites requested somewhere between 10 and 15,000 and only 6% taking a little bit of a jump requested over 25,000. Mm-hmm. What's your initial reaction to those numbers? You know, again, it's it's the sites learning and understanding the effort around startup, right? Mm-hmm. And how much it truly costs to be able to do that task. And then also having a voice, if you will, at the table and knowing their value and worth of what they can ask and it not seem exceedingly robust. As we see in these numbers, right? You've got a range anywhere from $10,000 to $25,000. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's quite a range and then in a max, if you will. So even hitting the median there, you know, we're only seeing that 29% and then that max 6% is only asking. Well, if you actually did the math, if you will, and looked at the cost of the effort of FTEs, the the work, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, not only is it budget negotiations and coverage analysis, it's IRB reviews, consent drafting, training and education. There's there's so much that goes into startup, right? And so Mm -hmm. having a comprehensive cost for that, I think it's the teams learning how to negotiate that rate, right? Yeah, it always surprises me too. I work with a number of customers, some who are located in the same state, 
some who are actually you know, a drive away from each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, you know, this depends whether you're looking at oncology studies or cardiology studies, those rates differ if it's an observational study, but it's surprising. Even these research sites in the same locality, the same major city request such different startup rates. And yeah, just like you said, if we start getting into the fine details, combing through all of those tasks that are needed, reviewing the informed consent, going through IRB, routing all of these documents, making sure, obviously, budgeting and billing compliance is taken care of, as well as the legal reviews, mm-hmm. it snowballs. So, but mm-hmm. next, I do, I do want to jump into actually some of the demographics, the startup the budget negotiations. So specifically looking at academic health centers versus everyone else. So Mm -hmm. private research sites, health systems, hospitals, we looked at which type of, which type of site requests more in startup and which can actually negotiate quicker. So any guesses, any thoughts before I share the news? (laughs) Well, I, you know, I would just say that it depends a lot on startup of, of timelines, you know, how many resources are available, what processes are in place, you know, and then sometimes just by the sheer nature of the type of site, it may take longer. Absolutely. And typically what I've seen a lot is just like you said, the scale of the site does matter. There's a lot of different hoops to jump through, people who are involved So I'll start there, actually, with negotiation with the speed that it takes to negotiate a clinical trial budget with a sponsor. Non-AMCs, so those private research sites, health systems, the hospitals, we found in the survey are actually much faster than the academic medical centers. So the specifics, academic medical centers, they answered that it often takes over 90 days to develop and negotiate a budget where those independent, those non-AMC, non-academic medical centers are taking somewhere between 30 to 90 days. Mm-hmm. And the other difference that we found, or actually lack of difference, was in startup costs. So I was expecting academic medical centers to maybe request more in startup But we actually found that there was virtually no difference. Essentially, it was academic medical centers and non-academic medical centers are comparable in the startup costs. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the AMC and the other health systems, research networks, private sites, et cetera, they all are asking, it looks like about the same median of cost, but their timelines are very different, right? And perhaps you see that because of a multitude of variables that's, you know, without really having them all, it's more of based on experience and knowing that in the AMC, there are various committees, multiple layers of governance, if you will, that a trial has to pass through before it actually comes to fruition. And that even applies, you know, on the accounting budget legal side, where it goes through multiple layers, just like the study review process would in an AMC, um, because there's multiple entities, if you will, for which have governance. And then on the other side of the coin, where we're outside, they're a little bit more agile, right? 
perhaps there are standard costs that are already set and there are already those standing cost justification letters. And then there are dedicated teams, if you will, that once the trial comes in, the baton is passed to them and they're able to start their workflows. Where on the other side of the house in the AMC, maybe they're not able to start their workflows right from the the beginning, if you will. They have to perhaps wait a little bit and then it's their turn to start the cadence. So there is a little bit more agility, if you will, on the other side of the house. And, And the study results obviously show, you know, they show that a little bit that there's a difference in the workflow. And then you also have to think about the smaller site, right? The single standalone site where perhaps it's in that clinic and maybe they're not just by nature of looking at these costs, if you will, they're accepting budgets as is, if you will, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily entering into that negotiation. And I think we see that you know, just in the types of training and workshops that we do for budget negotiations and coverage analysis, right? Um, Because they're learning, they're young and they're learning. So that's perhaps maybe some of the differences that we see in the results. I, I could not agree more. And just like you touched on, I think those AMCs, again, lots of hoops to jump through. We see it all the time with those independent cancer centers with smaller research sites that compliance team, that budgeting team, so often on those little sites, that's just one person. That's Mm -hmm. one person who's looking at everything. So sometimes there's some more flexibility there. Just like you said, there's less handoffs, less baton passes um, when it's just one sole person, but it's a lot to ask. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, this, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, but you know, if you think about it, when we, because, because this is also a compliance piece, right? Mm -hmm. If we put our compliance hat on, just sometimes, just because I say I might be faster, I may not have some of those other governance pieces in place to layer in some of the compliance, right? Because I'm learning and I'm growing. I am also learning to build that billing compliance piece that we talk about so often in industry because it's it overlays into this budget piece, right? And learning mm-hmm. some of those skills, it takes time and resources. So it's also a growth opportunity. This is actually a good segue into the next topic here. In general, it's actually turnaround times with budget negotiations. So we just mentioned AMCs on average take or they responded that they take 90 plus days to develop and build a clinical trial budget. We actually broke this next portion down by startup costs requested, and we found some unexpected results. The first piece, sites with the highest startup costs across their clinical trials requesting above the $15,000 mark often fell into the 30 to 90 day timeline bucket. And what surprised me the most is sites who had the lowest startup costs, so under $10,000 per study on average, actually had split results. One group reported that it takes under three days to complete, fantastic as expected. The other chunk said that it takes over 90 days to complete studies with the lowest startup costs. Any thoughts on why that is? You know, it may be where you're seeing the split. Perhaps I've got some of the larger entities 
where you're seeing that 90 plus day, whether that be a large health system with four or 500 hospital health systems within its system, or whether it be the academic medical centers, the larger centers, or even a large study site network, you know, because we see some of the networks have anywhere from 400 to 800 plus sites that they're overseeing and managing. And then perhaps that 30 to 90 day high startup timeframe is where maybe you're seeing some of the AMCs as well, because that usually that 90 day mark is a good indicator that you're working with a very large system, you mm-hmm. know, regardless of the segment, if you will, the type, it's just that they're larger. So it takes yeah. more time to get through them. And again, I, I wish I could butt heads with you a bit more. I echoing <laughs> <going> that. <laughs> uh, yeah. When, when I saw the high startup costs that fell into that 30 to 90 day, more or less the average timeline, to me, that just signified that, hey, this is a experienced site. Like we've been talking about, maybe they already have their their budgeting piece in place. They have everything outlined. They have their PDFs justifying the costs. They have a very strict timeline, goals, and it shows mm-hmm. versus these low startup sites where, again, you yeah. have a site who just turn around these budgets. So I love this talk, but I do have one last topic for budget negotiations, which is, so we actually asked why do sites believe negotiations take so long? Again, answered by the site. Any guesses? Why they take so long? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Why it takes exactly what we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's knowing that cost and effort and time because most sites are understaffed. We Mm -hmm. don't have a real strong, and and this is where industry is starting to come around, where we've got some workforce initiatives and we've got some, you know, additional standards that are coming down the pike. But for now, until some of those become requirements, just like in healthcare, we would never put one nurse on a unit with 50 patients that that just wouldn't be Mm -hmm. heard of because we have different standards, right? So we're starting to see some of those same types of standards in research where earlier you mentioned, maybe you have one staff member at a site who's doing everything. We would never do that typically in any other type of environment, but we see it regularly in research, which then leads to the next problem that the survey identified. So we have lack of staff, we have inexperienced staff, and then we mm-hmm. have the huge turnover, right? Because that person is taking on more than they can, you know, normally would do in a workload, then, then it's overwhelming. And so then there's turnover. And then that tenure individual is lost because now we have a new staff again and again, right? Um, so the yeah. cycle just keeps repeating. Oh, I know it. So actually, when we did ask the sites, why do negotiations take so long? That was the second most common answer was actually negotiating the high costs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The top answer that we got from our sites was they actually pointed to the sponsor. They said it was the sponsor wait times. So shifting gears, we also asked sites about their uh, billing compliance and research or Medicare coverage analysis practices. 
So Candy is, I'm sure you're well aware, uh, Medicare coverage analysis, or just coverage analysis for short, shows what items, services, practices required by a clinical trial are going to be covered by your health insurance or Medicare. If covered by insurance, the sponsoring firm, the sponsor will not need to cover these costs within their budget. So Candy, again, I'll throw you under the bus. Why is billing compliance or a coverage analysis on clinical trials important for sites? <laughs> it's very important because you you know you can't bill the sponsor for what services you're being received reimbursement from that healthcare party, if you will, whether it's CMS or third party payer, because that's you know that would be a fraudulent act, if you will, because then you're double dipping. We can't be double dipping into the, the reimbursement fund. And then the other piece of that is too, that if it's truly a cost that is related to the trial that should not be billed to those payers, then it's the inverse. We could be in just as much difficulty if we were billing for services that we should be billing to the sponsor only. And this is a skill that it takes time. It's also, it's a combination skill, right? It's not, it's not just finance alone and it's not clinical alone. It is a combined task um, because you have to understand what is, you know, a therapeutic intent versus non-therapeutic intent uh, for mm-hmm. those billing purposes. Oh, and there's so much trickle down effects that then get tied back into the budget, just like you were talking about. Candy, based on some of the results of the survey, what are some of your most notable conclusions? Oh, that's a broad <laughs> question, Jay. I, I know. I, <laughs> you know, I, well, you know, honestly, I would say probably the biggest takeaway, right, is we still have a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of education to disseminate and share. And what is more exciting, I think, in this time frame in research, we have more of an acceptance to this virtual platform, right? And this is allowing us an industry to be able to reach farther, more frequently, and have more resources available. And so by doing that by virtue, that increases knowledge, because now I have access to some knowledge and some education where before perhaps I was siloed in my own little bubble in my own world. And now um, we are opening up into a new time and where technology is really bridging the vast majority of us together because those of us in this industry, it's a small industry, right? We, yep. we kind of say in the health system, we're always the 5% of the entire whole. <laughs> and so we're the smallest guy. But um, by having all of this networking, it's connecting us all together. So we can share and we can talk and we can learn from one another. I would say that's the biggest takeaway is that the survey is really showing, you know, there's so much opportunity still yet for us to learn and grow. So Hey, great conversation. I'm really happy we got a chance to talk and share these important results today. So am I. This this has been great. You know, just learning and sharing and having the ability to disseminate 
is a great opportunity. So thank you very much. Of course. And with that, we conclude the fourth episode of Invara in Conversations with. If you enjoyed today's discussion, keep a lookout on Invara's social channels or on Invara.com for our next episode. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Jake.